So, all right, let's get into this story. We're, uh, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6 in just a few moments. Uh, we're talking about our prophet and his servant, and we're talking about angels that are unseen, and that's kind of where we're going with this today, is, uh, is, is there's things that you don't see that are going on in your life, and you're facing battles, but there's a enemy that you can't see, but there's also soldiers of God that you can't see that are helping you. Amen? I want to tell you a little story, first of all. Um, any, do you have any sleepwalkers in the house? When I was a kid, I was like an avid sleepwalker. How come I was the only one that raised my hand? Do we have any sleepwalkers? All right. Um, I, hopefully you don't still do that, but, but I had a little bit of a problem as a kid of sleepwalking, and there was an incident when I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, in the house we lived in, my brother and I shared a room. We had bunk beds. And one night I, I woke up and I looked into my closet that had sliding doors because we live way out in the country, and there was a bear in my closet. And it was standing there like this. Um, and, and I freaked out and, and I ran and I shut the doors and I'm screaming, there's a bear, there's a bear, there's a bear. My older brother wakes up, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, there's a bear in the closet, there's a bear in the closet, there's a bear in the closet. So he did what an older brother did. He opened up the closet, the bear came out and ate his little brother and the story's over. Now he, he showed me there was no bear in the closet. All right, what I saw wasn't reality. Another time, I woke up at night and, and I must have been six or seven and my dad worked in the woods and his gloves were wet and my mom had dried them over, they were on the back of the couch and, and they were just sitting there and I thought they were bony hands and I'm touching them and I'm going, dad, dad, I, I probably freaked my brother out, all right, um, he probably went into medicine for a reason and I'm, and I'm, and I'm just touching him going, dad, and I, I was seeing what wasn't there, like it was a reality to me, but it wasn't reality. And so a lot of us need to understand this one thing. <clears throat> what you see isn't always what is, and what is isn't always the whole picture. And that's what we're going with today. Everybody that you know is going through something. So many of you are going through some hard stuff today. I know some of your stories, and I'm here to tell you that you're going to make it. You are. There are times in your life that you need somebody else to see what you can't see. I see a strength in many of you that you don't see in yourself because when you're in the middle of the fight, it's really hard to see that. Matter of fact, this morning, uh, Chris and I were sitting by the fire. We had a little tiny fire burning just in honor of Pastor Stevie. Um, and when he, when, he, when he said it may snow again, I heard people from the crowd yell crucify him um, as he was up here <laughs> talking that. So if it snows, we're going to have a public party. Um, and, uh, so this morning, so we're talking and on Chris's glasses, there was this big old smudge and I'm just looking at it, and, uh, and I'm like, okay, give me your glasses, babe. And so I went and cleaned her glasses. She's like, oh, that looks better. And I thought, there's a sermon in that. When you hold your smudge so close, a lot of times you don't see it. And you need somebody else in your life to go, you know, there's a smudge on your glasses. You're not seeing as good as you could because it's so close to you. And the closer you hold it, it's like the blurrier you see, but you don't realize what's causing it. And so thank you, babe, for the great sermon illustration. But everybody is going through something. Most people are fighting battles you know nothing about. So our goal for today is to give us hope and perspective that God is more involved in your situation than you think he is. And there's also angels involved. So my title today is when perspective becomes a problem. When perspective becomes a problem. Uh, back when we were youth pastors, back in the day, boy, 30, 31 years ago, uh, we, the church that we were youth pastored at was on the end of Federal Way in Overland. If you've been here very long, it used to be by the Blue Cross building, and uh, we had this, this church there, and we were youth pastors, and we decided to take our youth group to Lagoon uh, for, for the weekend. And so we did a youth group trip, and uh, we stayed the night there, we camped out. And on the way to the ticket counter one morning, we were walking, and I grabbed 
Chris's hand, and we're walking along, and we walked all the way across the parking, like from here to the ball fields. It was a long way, just walking. And uh, anyhow, had, had a good time at Lagoon, got back, and later that night, someone pointed out that I was holding a different girl's hand than my wife. And it was, it was my cousin. Her name was Jamie. She wasn't too far uh, in age. And I was like, what? They're both blonde, nice looking, and thin. And I just was walking, and they're like, you held Jamie's hand. I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, you, had, you held her hand all the way. And I was like, you guys are messing with me. Chris said, no, I was walking behind you, and I thought it was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but it is your cousin. <laughs> and I thought, well, Beans is my cousin. It wasn't that weird. And then I thought, well, maybe Beans is my cousin. It makes it weirder. Um, <laughs> if you're from the South, you might understand that. Uh, and, and I thought they were messing with me. And the whole youth group confirmed that they watched their youth pastor hold some other woman's hand all the way across the parking lot. And, and I had a hard time believing them, right? My perspective was I'm holding my wife's hand when in fact it wasn't because a lot of times everybody else can see what you can't. Okay, so when perspective becomes a problem, unfortunately, that did not become a problem with any parents on that trip because we do not promote a youth pastor holding another woman's hand. Matter of fact, if you do, you will get fired. That's the truth, all right? All right, there's an there's a article I want to read to you. Yeah. All right, this is from the History Channel, uh, kind of an interesting thing, and it's on smoking cigarettes, and the title is, When Cigarette Companies Used Doctors to Push Smoking. And it says this, what cigarette do doctors say causes less throat irritation? Back in the 1930s and 40s, tobacco companies would happily tell you it was theirs. Doctors hadn't yet discovered a clear link between smoking and lung cancer, and a majority of them actually smoked cigarettes. So in cigarette ads, tobacco companies used doctors' authority to make their claims about their cigarettes seem more legitimate. To the modern-day reader, the pitching of cigarettes as healthy to youth and pregnant moms as well, and the use of doctors' endorsements may appear horrifying. Yet in 1950, there wasn't uh, good evidence showing that cigarette smoking was bad for you. People started to get worried in the 1940s because lung cancer was spiking. Uh, the lung cancer death rate was going through the roof. They knew that something was wrong. And yes, cigarettes did cause some coughing and throat irritation, but the companies used this to their advantage to promote their product as better than the competition. It wasn't all the cigarettes that gave you problems, just the other manufacturers. And, and so the article goes on, Lucky Strikes uh, was the one that say, you know, that the most doctors smoke Lucky Strikes. So here's their deal. They claim that 20,679 physicians say Lucky Strikes are less irritating to the throat. Well... They didn't have the correct perspective on cigarettes, and now we know that cigarettes are completely healthy for you, um, right? So when perspective becomes a problem, the perspective back then was that cigarettes won't be bad for you. The perspective became a problem. The good news is, is America recognized this, and they begin to address the problem. They begin to say, wait a second, there is a huge link between tobacco smoking and lung cancer. And we are in a society today, guys, that is trying to promote a lot of different agendas that in the end will be bad for your kids. Yeah. They promote unhealthy lifestyles, immoral lifestyles. And so as a church, as a family, as a Christian, as a parent, as a grandparent, our job really is to create a better perspective for those that we lead. And God has asked us to do that. Now, your kids, besides being crazy, they, because, they, you know, 
Our kids are crazy, right? How many here does not have crazy kids? Like at times they act all crazy. Sometimes we act all crazy. But as kids, we acted all crazy. Why? Because kids are crazy. Kids don't know enough yet. Your kids have this perspective. And let's just say you go on this trip, right? And, and you're, let's say you go to the zoo. And the kids are a little bit thirsty. And you have water. Well, you give one kid this bottle. And then you give the other kid this bottle. What is going to likely happen? Yeah. You give one this, and they're like, hey, and then all of a sudden, wait, how come I get, wait, what? There's a perspective here, right? So if your kids are like that, what I'm going to ask you to do is take them to Swan Falls and leave them there for two days um, in the desert without any water, and then drive up and offer some water, and they're not going to care which one they get, Right? It, some people have the attitude of like, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. What, what perspective do you have? The fact is, here's, here's what you don't know. Because all of you, if, if there was like a, a crisis right now and it got super hot in here and we locked the doors and everybody was thirsty and we're like, okay, whoever fights and wins is going to get the water. What, what you don't know, what you don't know is in the back room, we have cases of water. We could take care of everybody and then some, right? Because your perspective is this is all that there is, but no, I have a father in heaven who has a lot more than of that than where a lot more, you know what I'm saying, where that came from. A whole lot more of that. I started thinking of uh, Napoleon Dynamite where he drew the picture with the girl with her shading on the upper lip and he said there's a lot more where that came from. Um, it did not win her heart. But I know what you don't. I know there's a bunch in the back room. Okay, because again, if we got locked and there was a crisis, you'd be like, ah, that's it. No, there's more than what you see. So perspective can be a problem. And so today we're trying to change perspective. All right, 2 Kings chapter 8, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 6, I said the same thing first service. I didn't learn. Chapter 6, 8 through 14, uh, just a little synopsis of what's going on here. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people. At this point in history, they're led by a king named Jehoram, who is not a good king. He's not a good man. As a matter of fact, when he became king, he killed all his brothers because they would become a threat to his throne. So that's what kind of king he is. And yet, he's still the king of Israel. He's the king that God has chosen at this time and this place, even though he was kind of a knucklehead. And there was another king of Aram, which is current day Syria. Um, his name was Ben-Hadad. We will refer to him as Benny because it's easier. And so, so King Ben-Hadad was, was trying to kill the king of, of, of Israel, Jehoram. And so let's read the scripture and then I'll explain to you what the scripture means. All right, let's read it. So now the king of Aram or Syria was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said... I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Again, this is not going to make sense until I explain it to you. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Jehoram, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard against such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and he demanded of them, tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel. In other words, quit posting what I'm going to do. None of us, my lord, the king. My lord, the king, he said one of his officers. But Elisha, who was the prophet of God, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king orders, so I can send men and capture him, then report back. He is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force in there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now, if they just tell you the prophet knows what you say in private, and he just says something like, go find him, don't you think Elisha's going to know that? 
All right, so here's the backstory on, okay, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. So Josephus, who was a historian of the day, said that, that Jehoram, the king of Israel, liked to hunt big game. He liked to hunt lions and tigers. He liked to hunt that kind of thing. And so the other king knew this. And so when Jehoram was going to go to this certain place to hunt these animals, King Benny said, let's go set an ambush for him and we will basically hunt the, the hunter. And you see what happened here. Every time the king said, hey, go set up an ambush to catch the king of Israel, Elisha knew about it because he could hear by God what was actually going to happen. So it's a historical fact that he liked to hunt stuff. And so there was this cat and mouse game that was being played. Now, God is not going to let the king that he has in place get killed out of his will. God is not going to let you go through things that are out of his will. Now, God may not like everything that happens to you. Okay, we talk about choice, and God doesn't control. Some people are like, well, if God is so good, you know, why doesn't he stop all these bad things? Well, God also said that, that we have to have free will. Like, God has to allow free will. That means other people are wicked and mean, all right, and do some things. God also protects us at times, all right? But the devil is like a roaring lion, okay? And so what my encouragement for you today is to listen to spiritual warning of your leaders, as evil as Jehoram was, he still listened to the prophet of God. And because he listened, it saved his life. Now, we also need to be like Elisha in our world that we can tell people, hey, smoking cigarettes is bad for you. Okay? Doing this is bad for you. Living this lifestyle is bad for you. These choices are bad for you. And we need better leadership okay, in America to stand up, not in, not in the form of a jerk, but in the form of conviction, in the form of passion to say, quit teaching our kids wrong things. In my mind, the crowd went crazy um, at that point, right? We need a better amen on that, all right? But God would reveal, okay, that there was this war that was happening, and there is a war against your soul. God would reveal to Elisha what was about to go down. And again, Jehoram listened to the warning. The king was on his guard so that he saw what was coming. I love that. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king. That, and so the king was on his guard. as He actually listened to the thing. Now, wouldn't it be good to know what was coming? Wouldn't it be good to be like the Houston Astros when they illegally beat the Dodgers in the World Series? Yeah, it's true. You know what Houston was doing? If you, if you hate baseball, you'll like this story anyway. Houston was cheating. They had a camera set up in the outfield, and they were watching what signs the catcher was putting down, relaying the message to the batter, so the batter knew what was coming. It was a curveball, fastball, whatever. And so they were banging on garbage cans like little codes, Okay, and it was cheating. And I, I personally believe the Astros should have given the ring back to the Dodgers. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's just what, my personal conviction. Uh, how did they get found out? Well, they got found out because there was some honest people on the Astros team that they, they, they said, you know what? We can't live with this. We, we cheated. Right? And they made it known. And it was a big, big deal. Because it would be fun to know, as Mike Trout said, what pitch was coming. Wouldn't it be cool for God to show you as you go drive down Eagle Road. Now it's trying to get out on Deer Flat. <laughs> like someone's getting out of church, you're like, come on. Like, um, so have your kid push the crosswalk, then you can go out. Um, it's kind of like, hey, I know what's coming, right? Wouldn't it be fun to know what was coming? It'd be fun to know who was gonna cut you off in traffic when you went to town. Okay, there's gonna be a red car and it's driven by this little blonde person and they're gonna cut you off. And so wouldn't that be cool if God gave you, and so when you look in your rear view mirror and you see this red car coming with a blondie in it, and you're like, I'm going to get so close to the next car that they're not going to be able to cut me off. Would that be cool? <laughs> or would it be better off just to not know? I'm not really sure. But what I will tell you this is that God is on your side. 
God knows what you're going through and God knows what's coming. You don't always know what's coming. He's not going to reveal everything to you that's coming. I don't want him to reveal everything to me that's coming because I'd freak out. I'd worry about it, right? I'm going to live today the best that I can. So here's what we do. We need to speak up. What I call the devil of the day influences our kids to be something that they're not. Okay? We have compassion for the confused, but I will tell you this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Confusion has to be guided. That's what parenting is all about. It's not letting your kids just be what they want or do what they want or say what they want or act how they want. As parents, we have a right to lead. We have a right. We have, we have a right to lead, a God-given right to lead, and there is a right way to do this. For example, do you let your kids decide if they want to go to school or not? No. Do you wake up in the morning and go, hey, honey, how are you feeling? Do you feel like going to school? No. Not very many kids would go, oh, yeah, I'm ready. There's a few. Most kids would be like, oh, I'll just stay here and sleep if you let me. If you give them the choice, they're going to make the wrong choice, right? Okay, honey, do you, do you want to take the garbage out? You don't have to. I know you're playing your video game, and I want to interrupt you, but do you want to... Okay, here's your food, and I'll clean your plate. If we do this, we're going to develop children that are very entitled, okay? So we have to lead through that. Don't let ungodly people influence your kids in the wrong direction. Again, parents is their compass. Have you ever seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean where Jack Sparrow has got his compass? Have you ever seen his compass? If you don't, if you never watched the movie. So he's got this compass, but his compass doesn't point true north. His compass points to whatever his heart wants the most at that time. Now that sounds like a fun compass. That sounds like a compass that would get you in a whole lot of trouble. Right? And his heart, he opens up his compass and he shakes it and whatever his heart wants at the moment, that's where it points. That's not a compass. And as parents, we can't give our kids that type of a compass. Say, here, you get to decide what kind of life you want to live. No, as a parent, you have to parent. You have to guide. If they're confused, you guide confusion in all aspects of, of raising kids and raising grandkids. And so God doesn't want us to have a compass that's like Jack Sparrow. He doesn't want the Bible to be just whatever it says. And may you make it, because you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Ladies should be quiet in the church. Amen. Have a good day. Um, that's what it says. Wow. Yeah, wow. So, argue with the word of God. That's what it says. Yeah, Proverbs 31, woman. You're out there working, making the money. It says the, the husband sits at the gate and brags about her all day long. Hey, babe, how's it going? Water sure is good. Thanks for working. See you about midnight. How much money did you make me today? <laughs> Got really uncomfortable in here. Right? <laughs> See, context is key, guys. The, the women should be silent in the church. That was, that was a problem because in those days in the synagogues, women and men set separately. Women were talking to their husbands. Like, what did he mean when he said that? And so Paul was like, just ask after church. That's what that verse is referring to. All right? And people will use that as, well, women just need to be quiet in the church. Uh, to any pastor that says that, I'd be like, shut up, dude. Yeah. It's not true. All right? Now, ladies, if, we're, if I'm preaching, don't be talking, right? Uh, men, same thing. Like, we have that. Sometimes people get into conversations, and we're like, we can hear you. <laughs> like, you're in the back talking. We can hear you. Like, when we get our new building, we won't be able to hear you. But in this building, we can hear you. So if you ever see me look toward the back and I just get quiet, it means that somebody's talking. Yeah. And then I'll be like, turn. Let's just practice that. Look in the back. Look back toward the info, but just as a practice, just look. Hi, Piper. A Piper is slinking behind there. Everybody wave a Piper, all right? 
So we can make the Bible say whatever it wants. Let's get back to the message. But here's what, here's what most kids will do. They'll make the wrong choice most of the time. Here's, here's, here's what I want you to do, okay, in theory. You give your kids a hundred bucks. You drop them off at Walmart. You know, kid, your kid's anywhere from five to whatever, 18. Give them a hundred bucks and say, hey, buy groceries, buy, buy what we need at Walmart, okay? You can buy whatever you want, but just whatever, whatever you think we need. Your kid will spend a hundred bucks on all kinds of crazy stuff. They'll go to the candy, they'll, they'll buy donuts, they'll buy all kinds of candy. They'll come out with a car, there'll be a big grin on their face. There will be stuff in that car that you're like, yeah, that's not what I was thinking. Yeah. All right? So that's the scenario number one. Scenario number two is you drop them off at Whole Foods with 100 bucks. You will pick them up an hour later, and they will give you $98 back. Because <laughs> they bought one thing that was somewhat healthy, but, but, but they'll be like, I couldn't find anything that I wanted to eat. Right? You, you give kids the reins, they're going to make wrong choices. And that's why, again, as parents and grandparents, it's so vital that we're involved in their lives. Kids will naturally choose what's unhealthy for them. Again, what we feel isn't always what was real. Well, I want sugar for, for dinner. It's not healthy for you. And so like the king of Aram, evil always has an agenda. They go after the children of God. And again, Aram has a staff meeting. He's like, who's spying on me? Go find him. And they're like, it's Elisha. So they send them to a, to a, to a place called Dothan. It's about 12 miles away. They're like, that's where he's at. Um, if you were in our Genesis study, that is where Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He went to find his brothers and they had moved to the land of Dothan with their herds. And, and that's where Joseph's brothers saw him, threw him in the pit and betrayed him. So verse 15, okay, the enemy, they come at nighttime. And typically that is when the devil does his best work is in dark times. It says, when the servant of the man of God, he, he gets up and he went out early in the morning, an army with horses and chariots, had surrounded the city, and he basically freaks out. He's like, oh no, my Lord, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? He, he looked a little bit like Jack Sparrow running from the tribe. Ah! You know some live like this? Like that's how they live. And the servant, who blames them? Elisha didn't give him a warning. Elisha didn't be like, hey bro, uh, tonight, just so you don't worry, there's gonna be a whole army that's gonna come around, because Elisha knew what was coming. And he's like, what do we do? What do we do? And Elisha's like, dude, it's only like six o'clock. Actually, Elisha probably did not look at a wristwatch because they didn't have them back then, but for effect, all right. And he's freaking, he's just like, ah, what do we do? And Elisha, he just has this really, really good answer that I'll tell you in a moment. Because see, what the servant sees is not the whole picture. It's just his perspective. And not seeing the whole picture can get us in trouble. Again, God is doing things in your life right now in your situation that you can't see. He has chosen to withhold it from you, but it's still there. It's still there. Now, there's a video that I want to show you. It's Toy Story. I told you we have some fun today. Um, and it's called The Perfect Time to Panic. You may have seen this. Uh, I want to show it to you again because that's what the servant is like. act like that? I mean, we have those reactions. Like, it's a perfect time to panic. It is. It is. Now, just to drive this home into your brains, there's actually a little short rap to the same thing. So, Wendy, go ahead and show them the rap so that they can remember what we just talked about. Perfect time to panic. Perfect time to panic. Perfect time to panic. Perfect time to panic. Panic. 
I heard that one time and it stuck into my brain for the whole day. It's a perfect time to panic. A perfect time. But, but that's what this servant, that's where he's at. This is a perfect time to panic. And Elisha is not alarmed at all. And he answers in verse 16. He says, he's like, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? And he says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with him. So the answer to his question, what do we do, was answered, I'm going to say with a question, here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to freak out. And some of us need to get this into our minds that life happens sometimes, and how am I going to respond to it? You see, sometimes you need to decide how you're not going to react before the event. Again, if you drive and you commute, you have to put it into your mind that you're probably going to get cut off. There's probably going to be delays. Matter of fact, if you're living in Cuna, now there's delays all over the place, right? Like who designed that? Amen. Can I get a frustrated amen? Like detour, 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 detour. Like can't you just work on one section at one time, get that done? All right. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be your advocate. Because um, they listen to me. I'll just take their signs down because um, that solves the problem. I'll move their equipment, right? Stoplights, for me personally, I habitually look in my rearview mirror. Like I'll pull to a stoplight and I'll look to see who's coming and I just have this thing. I'm just watching, watching, like seeing if they're looking at me and I have enough space in between me and the next car. Like if these guys come flying in, I have enough to either cushion the hit if there's a family in front of me. Um, if you're a, a strong American male, you're gonna get smacked because I'm gonna move my car out of the way. Sorry, my pastor hat is off at that point. Um, no, but I think about that. I think about those scenarios. I think about, okay, I'm going to honk my horn, but I, I, I'm always paying attention to that. Some people, you live oblivious and you probably live a little more free than I do, but, but that's just what I do at stoplights. All right? I, I kind of watch. I don't, I don't quit driving. I don't get in my car and go, oh, I better not go. Something might happen. No, I, I, I drive, but I'm just cautious, right? We need to take that same approach to life, okay? Don't worry, but watch. Be prepared, okay? Life is about action and reaction. Think about pro athletes, and again, a lot of us in here love baseball. Baseball players, they, they have exceptional ability to act and react to things. That's what makes them so good. They can hit a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. You throw 100 miles by me, man, I'm running. The, I'll, I'll be the water boy, Okay, you throw a curveball at me, I'd probably head into the bathroom. Let's let that sink in because it would scare the death. But, but I'm not a professional ball player. I don't have that ability to do that. What Elisha was saying here in verse 17 was, Lord, open his eyes. Pray to the Lord, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord appeared, I'm sorry, opened the servant's eyes, get this, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. These were angels in the army of God, church. These were angels with chariots and fire all around. And he, all of a sudden, his eyes didn't just see the water bottle halfway. He saw the armies of heaven surrounding them, outnumbering the physical army of Aram by a lot. Yeah. Elisha could see what the servant could not. And Elisha wasn't worried about it. He's like, don't worry about it, servant. He's like, those are more, more with us than those are with them. Imagine the moment that that servant must have felt when he saw that. And as the enemy came down toward him, now the enemy's moving, the enemy can't see. And here's what happened. Elisha prayed to the Lord, Lord, strike these people with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And Elisha told them, Okay, this is the army that are now blind. They're marching down. They got their bows, their spears, chariots. They're coming. And all of a sudden, they can't see. And they're at a standstill. 
And Elisha walks out and he's like, this is not the place and I am not the man you're looking for. I'm gonna take you to him. And here's what I envisioned, that this whole army, were, they were in a confusion. It was probably quiet. They were like, what's going on? We can, none of us can see. And then Elisha leads them to this place called Samaria. He is taking them into the city of the king that they are hunting and trying to kill. See how God's gonna work this out? God's gonna work this out. God's showing some things to Elijah's servant that he can't see for himself. And so after they enter the city, I want you to picture this. They're on a dusty road. They're walking. They're probably murmuring what's happening. None of us can see what's going on. I'm blind. What's happening to us? And so Elisha leads them in to the city. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And I'm sure they, they saw the, the people, the archers, they were probably ready to shoot. There was spearmen ready to stab them. And all of a sudden the enemy is in the city of the king of the man they've been trying to kill. God has got you. God has got you. God sees what you don't. He is around you. He is protecting you. He is saving you. I can imagine the, the, just the sight. This must have been the picture of the, the column of soldiers, hand on shoulders, helpless, archers ready, spearmen ready. And what we're about to see is one of the greatest acts of compassion in the Bible. My uncle Raymond, my great uncle, was in World War II and uh, didn't know his involvement until about the year before he died. And he was, uh, he was in Normandy. He was the second wave in to Normandy. And he told me about their trip through France and he was in the Battle of the Bulge. And I love war history. So again, he just never talked about it because of what he saw. But again, as he was getting ready to go be with Jesus, he, he shared with me some of the things that he did and some of the things that he saw. And one of the first things he said, when he got on, they tried to give him an M1 carbine. And it's just like a little rifle. It's like a, almost a it's almost like a pistol bullet. It's not, I used to have one, not that powerful. And he told them, no, give me a Thompson machine gun. So they gave him a Thompson machine gun. I thought that was kind of cool. And he talked about capturing German soldiers. Like one, one morning, if I remember the story, he went off to go to the bathroom and there was German soldiers sleeping in a field. And so he came up on him and that's why he had a Thompson um, and, uh, and put them in and, they, and he marched them back into camp. And, and I thought about my uncle Raymond, who's with Jesus today and this, this, picture that he's painting here that all these soldiers were helpless. They're coming in, they're blind, they can't see. And now all of a sudden they're in a place that they really don't want to be in. So Elisha and the king, they were being hunted. He shows great mercy when he had the ability and the means to kill every man there and be justified at doing it. So let's continue on. So he brings them in. Okay. They don't know where they're at. And then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. And the king of Israel saw them and he asked Elisha, shall I kill him, my father? Shall I kill him? He's like scrappy dude, man. He is ready to go. Like, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. I want to kill him. And Elisha says this. He says, don't kill him. And I think he has some sarcasm. I know nothing about sarcasm, but I hear some people, so I try to emulate what that is. Uh, I think he said, don't kill him. He answered, would you kill men you conquered or captured with your own sword or bow? No. Here's what he says. Watch this. What did he tell them? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. And he didn't say, just set some bread and water. This is what the king did. And I think Elisha probably gave him this order. So what did he do? He pre prepared a what? A great feast. What do you picture when you think of a great feast? I don't think of like a little Taco Bell taco. Here you go. No, or an MRE. No, I'm picturing roast lamb, 
dressed with herbs and spices, maybe some curry and some brown rice mixed with, I'm, I'm creating an aroma in your mind and now you don't, you don't, you want me to shut up so you can go eat, right? I'm, I'm thinking it's steaming and they set before them platters of food after food after food. And they give them probably water and probably their best wine. They, they probably just give them this amazing feast. And these guys are eating going, what in the world is going on? The king that we were trying to kill, the man we were trying to capture is now feeding us. And we have this great feast. And I would imagine after several minutes, they probably started talking and joking and laughing and thinking, what in the world is going on here? And some of the skeptics are probably going, they're fattening us up. Like they're gonna kill us afterwards. But no, they prepared a great feast for him. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. He's probably like, hey guys, thanks for coming. We gotta go. But I appreciate y'all showing up today so that you could show the mercy of God or see the mercy of God. And hey, have a nice trip. As a matter of fact, take your spears and swords if you probably need them to fight some other army. But, but go home, just have a good day. And the army marches out going, what in the world just happened? Now, it's the opposite of what we want to do, huh? Because someone's trying to kill us, someone's trying to hurt us. What we want to do is we want to hurt back. We want to strike back, we want, especially somebody that, that's helpless and defenseless. But God is showing us something here today, that there are times in life when grace is more effective than punishment. There's times, not every time, but there are times when grace is more effective than punishment. Many of you have heard the story of, of me playing with matches, and uh, if you haven't heard it, I'll just tell it again. Uh, when I was about eight, nine or 10 years old, uh, I was playing with matches at, on our property in, in Northern California, and my dad had his shop there for his logging equipment. And there was a lot of dry leaves and a lot of oil and diesel and gas, a lot of things laying around. I mean, my, my cousin were playing with matches. We were holding a match, and we we're looking into this oak tree. It had a hole in it, and we were looking in there, and all of a sudden, from behind, my brother's like, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, ah, he knew exactly what we were doing. I'm going to go tell dad. And I was like, no, don't go tell dad. Don't go tell dad. And, and I offered him $50. That's all I had in my piggy bank was 50 bucks. And, and he's like, no. And he ran off and he'd rather see me get beat than, than 50 bucks. And so I did, you know, what you would do when you know your dad's going to get, get, you know, I, I took off running and me and John, we jumped two barbed wire fences across the car pasture. We went and hid in his house. And, um, and all of a sudden, a few minutes later, a knock. And my brother comes in, and he just, I think he just knocked and helped himself in. He's like, Dad wants to see you. <laughs> and I was like walking the mile of shame, and it was about 100 yards to, to the house because we lived on some property. And, and so I'm just walking. I'm like, I'm dead. I'm dead. Like, Jesus, just, I'll be a martyr right here. I'm making that part up. But I, was, I, was, I knew the wrath was coming because I got spanked pretty much every day of my life, and I'm glad that I did. You were thankful that I got spanked every day of my life. My parents come here and they're still watching me. Um, and so I, got, I get in and dad's like, go to your room. So I go to my room and I'm sitting there on the carpet. I remember sitting there just like, I'm dead. Like this is, this is a perfect time to panic. A perfect time to panic. And if I'd have had that song, that's what it would have been in my mind. And so I was sitting there waiting for the punishment. And I knew it. And he said, were you playing with matches? I said, yeah. He goes, don't do it again. Turn around and walked out, closed the door. I was like, what just happened? Because I was so used to getting spanked. Yeah. And that was it. And my brother was mad. And he says, I should have took the money. <laughs> That's what he said. I should have took the money. <laughs> yeah, Mike, you should have took the money. Um, all right. In that moment, my dad offered some grace right. when punishment was absolutely what I should have got. But he, my dad's, a, he's very smart and he parented us really good. Like, again, we got disciplined all the time. But at that moment, he felt that some compassion and just to affirm, don't do it again, 
would, would do greater. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't remember a lot of the spankings I got, but I remember the act of compassion that I got. So there are times in life when compassion actually has a greater effect than punishment. Again, not if it's every day. If it's every day, your kids are going to go crazy. All right, you have to discipline, but there's those moments that, again, you might be facing today, even with your spouse or somebody that you love. The, the punishment isn't the answer, amen? I, I like grace. Anybody like grace? I love grace. I love when people offer me grace when I mess up. So imagine what every soldier thought as we wrap this up about Jehoram after this, all these men who have been trying to kill the king. And I will tell you this, had Jehoram killed all these people, retribution would have happened. Okay, King Benny would have got another army that had been like, they killed all our men, let's go kill them. But imagine what the, these men must have said when they walked back. And King Benny's like, did you get him? He's like, no, do you, won't, you won't believe what happened. We went down to get Elisha. We all went blind. They led us into the city and he made us see again. We looked around and there's people on the walls. There's, there's archers. We're in trouble. And they fed us this feast. And then they're like, have a good day. See you later. Come back soon. They probably didn't add that in, but, but they're like, this is what happened to us. And what did it say? The result was what? They quit attacking Israel. They quit attacking. They're like, kid, these guys are too nice. And imagine every soldier having the story that the God of Israel, the Jehovah God, the God showed us grace when they could have killed us. And we need to learn something from that. I want to leave you with six things that we've learned today. Um, I would ask you to take your phones out, take some pictures. Uh, so you remember what it is that your spouse needs to remember. Yeah? All right, number one, there's always a war. It's always a battle to fight. Different levels, but all of, us, all of us will always have a battle, right? Number two, there will be dark times. Just expect it, okay? A, a life lived for Jesus is not a life that is complete light all the time. We still are humans. We go through emotional stuff. We still have stuff. Guys, this is not heaven. Sometimes we act like it is or think it should be. It's not. Okay, earth is gonna help us appreciate heaven a whole lot more. But just expect dark times, okay? What you expect, you will be better prepared for. When we panic about things, it's a lot of times it's because we're not prepared. Yeah. What you expect, you'll be better prepared for. Okay, what you see isn't the whole picture, okay? There are angels on your side. Even right now, there's angels around you. I believe that you have a guardian angel or angels. I, I, too, too much in the Bible points that direction. That there are angels that attend. Jesus had angels. I believe that we all do. Mine's like seven foot eight and very large. Okay. Yeah, second slide, please. All right, number four. There's always, or there's often a purpose in our circumstances. Some of you need to hear that this morning, that you're going through some stuff and you don't understand why. God hasn't revealed it to you. Just like Elisha didn't reveal to his servant that there's an army around us, the, the servant freaks out because he can't see what Elisha knows. And Elisha's job was to say, hey, it's okay. okay. The army that's with us is more than the army that is with them. There is a purpose in the circumstances. It doesn't mean that the circumstances are fun, but what I'm asking you to do is get through it. Get through it. Somebody's counting on you to get through it. Somebody's counting on you to take one more step to do what's right. Your kids are probably counting on you. Don't let your perspective become a problem. Uh, God's got me, and there's more to this than I can see. You have to take that approach. And number six, I will choose to trust him when I can't see the purpose, that's probably the hardest thing to do for us. Am I right? Yeah. That is the hardest thing. When we don't see a purpose behind it, we know when there's a purpose, we can go through a lot of pain to achieve the purpose. But when we don't know what the purpose is, that's when we choose to give up or when we, we are tempted to give up because God, I don't see the purpose in this. But God sees the purpose in this. Right. God sees the purpose. 
And God allows it. He allows pain in our lives. See, I've had people you know, say, well, if God's so good, why does he allow bad things? Well, God is good, but God also has given us free will as humans to choose good or to choose bad. And he doesn't stop every evil person from doing evil because then we wouldn't be people of choice. God has to allow that stuff to happen for the whole plan to work, but God is good. And so when you get to the place in life that God has a plan for me and I understand that and his plan is always good, it will give me the passion to keep going when I feel like quitting. And that's what I'm asking you to do today is to keep going when you feel like quitting, to keep pursuing the things that God wants you to pursue. And, and the pursuit, okay, is not always easy. Matter of fact, pursuit is most of the time hard, but it's worth it. God's got you. And I hope today that your eyes were opened a bit, that, that God is much bigger and more involved in your life than you think he is. He's on your side. He's rooting for you. He's cheering you on. He's not up there. Some people think, well, God's just mad at me. Do you think if God was mad at you, don't you think he could just squish you like a bug and move on to someone else? Yeah. Don't you think that? And you're still here, aren't you? Yeah. So God's not going to just flick you off like a little fly. He's not going to do that. No, God loves you. He cares about you. He's, he's very passionate about you. God wants you to get through it. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, I think you're here today probably because you believe in God, but believing in God alone doesn't get you there. Okay, if, if, we, if I take you to Disneyland, what gets you into Disneyland, like the gates? What gets you into Disneyland? A ticket. You have to have a ticket to Disneyland. You can't just say, hey, I'm cute. You should let me in. Now, if the ticket guy likes you, he might just let you slip in, but that's not the way you get in. You have to have a ticket. And it's the same way with heaven. You have to have Jesus as your ticket. Now, here's what I know about the ticket to heaven. It's in will call. God doesn't just give them to everybody. Will call means you have to do what? The ticket's there. You just have to go get it. You gotta go pick it up. And Jesus today is offering the ticket of salvation to get you to heaven. And it's a free ticket, but you have to accept it. You have to go to the will call box and say, hey, I, I heard that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that. Can I get that ticket? And Jesus says 100% of the time, yes. Just, just believe what I did for you. Accept me into your life and your ticket to heaven is there. Amen. Your name gets written in the book of life. There's a hell too, guys. There's a hell too. There's heaven and hell. There's two destinations and you have right now a reservation at one. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior, your reservation is confirmed in the book of life and you will go to heaven when you die. But if you have never asked Jesus to forgive you, never asked him to be your Lord and savior, your reservation is in hell. The Bible is very clear about that. And God wants to change that today. Amen. God wants to change that today. So if you bow your heads with me just for a moment, I'm not asking you today to join a religion, to join a church, to join an organization. What I'm asking you to do is join the God of the universe who sent his son to die for you, paid the price of your ticket and forgive you of your sins. And all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, be your Lord and savior. It's that simple. And if you need to do that today, you need this forgiveness I'm talking about. You've lived life and there, you, you've tried a lot of different things and nothing satisfies, nothing fills that void. Well, that's called a, a Jesus void. It's the only spot in your life that Jesus can fill. And he wants to forgive you. He wants you to come home. He wants you in heaven, but you have to choose that. And if that's you today, if you just slip your hand up where I can see it, I'm not gonna take a lot of time doing this, but if there's anybody here that needs to get forgiven, needs to make heaven their home, you just slip your hand up, say, Stan, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus today. Anybody at all? Okay. All right, I'm not seeing any hands. All right, look at me. I do this to you most of the time. Are you, ready? Are you sure? Yep. Like, you're sure. You died now, you would go to heaven. If not, 
If you're like, I'm not really sure, ask Jesus to be your savior, amen? Do it for me, man, come on. Uh, I, I, I want y'all there, I want y'all there. Second question, how many of you are going through something? You just keep your heads up. Just lift, if you're going through something right here, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these hands that are up. I hope that today's message gave them a perspective that they didn't have when they came in, that you have the angels and of the armies of heaven surrounding your people and helping and fighting for. And I pray for those who are just going through a hard time right now that they don't know what else to do and they can't do anything else. I pray that you would just go to bat for them. Father, you would make it turn out the way that you want it to turn out. You give them strength, give them peace, give them that passion to just go one more day. And we just love you and give you thanks and praise for that strength. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. Love y'all.